The following program is an original WWE podcast. Coming up, I'll be talking with WWE SmackDown Women's Champion Bayley, WWE Universal Champion Seth Rollins, the 16-time World Champion and two-time WWE Hall of Famer, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, and of course, WWE COO, the 14-time World Champion and all-around icon, Triple H. The first ever episode of ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name's Corey Graves, the voice of Friday Night Smackdown. If you're not tired of hearing my voice yet, thank you, but you will be. You'll get there, I promise. I'm going to be talking to you weekly right here on After the Bell. It's probably going to get me fired, but I promise I'm going to do my best to make sure we have some fun before it does. Look, I have absolutely no idea how this is going to go. I have some ideas in mind. Some of them are probably awesome. Others probably suck, but we're going to figure this out together, all right? All I can do is promise you that we're going to cover what happens on Friday Night SmackDown, what happens on NXT, what happens on Monday Night Raw, and I'm going to have superstar guests from those brands and talk about some of the things that maybe we're not supposed to talk about. You know, that mythical list of things we're not allowed to say in WWE? Yeah, that doesn't apply here, all right? If you thought you were gonna get some sort of sanitized corporate product, guess what? You're wrong. I wouldn't have agreed to do this show if that was gonna be the case. I was promised otherwise, and I'm gonna go down in flames one way or another. Hopefully, I can entertain you and enlighten you along the way, all right? A lot of big things happening, a lot of controversy, lots to cover, lots to talk about. WWE is in sort of a, I don't want to say a state of flux right now, but if it's a transition period, I don't know what's going on. Some of the stuff is completely awesome. Some of it, to be blatantly honest, really, really sucks, okay? I'm doing my best to keep my finger on the pulse of the fans, what you guys want to talk about, what's on your mind. I can't promise I'm going to get to all of it because, well, I have a life. But I've got producers to do that for me, so hopefully, if you get mad at me for not talking about something, you can blame them instead. That's what we call passing the heat in this business. I'm a professional at it. This week in particular, Crown Jewel, okay? I'm stoked for it because it's kind of a throwback to some of the days of your attractions. I mean, we've got Tyson Fury, the lineal heavyweight boxing champion of the world, who I'm a fan of beyond WWE. When he showed up, I was as thrilled as anybody. It's going to be interesting. I'm not expecting some sort of technical classic, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. There's something mythical about super heavyweights clashing, whether it be in WWE or MMA or boxing, whatever the world is, when you've got two six foot nine behemoths throwing down, it's always going to be fun. Maybe it's going to be a car wreck. Maybe it's going to be the worst match in the history of matches. Either way, I think it's going to be a good time. I mentioned MMA, which brings me to the WWE championship match. Of course, Brock Lesnar defending against his old rival, Kane Velasquez. Again, the MMA fan in me, super stoked on this. I watched when they fought in UFC, when Kane took Brock's heavyweight championship. This seems almost improbable, if not impossible, that all these years later, these two guys are going to throw down in a WWE ring. Again, I don't know what to expect. I know Kane's, you know, picking up a little bit of the in-ring wrestling acumen over the past year or so down in Mexico, but the Beast and Kane is going to be pretty incredible. And it's happening in the desert, and it's happening on Halloween, and it's happening at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you have school, skip it. And of course, the Universal Championship is on the line. When it comes to controversial endings, it simply doesn't get any more controversial than when these two collided inside Hell in a Cell. 
The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, challenges my guest at this time is the reigning Universal Champion, the Slayer of Kings, the Slayer of Beasts, potentially the Slayer of Fiends, Mr. Seth Rollins. Seth, what's going on, dude? Hey, what's up? Quite the introduction. Thank you very much. Well, I set you up there, and I'm going to have to knock you back down. I am legally required by WWE standards to let you know that you are, in fact, in a real-life relationship with the Raw Women's Champion, Becky Lynch. <laughs> yeah, they've got that. They have to tell you that. They have to make sure everybody knows that, right? That's how that works. Oh, uh, I'm as tired not, of not saying not it as you are of hearing it, yeah. trust me. But, uh, hey, so I'm imagining right now you are probably in St. Louis preparing to jump on that long charter across the ocean. Yes, very soon. At some point uh, this evening, we're going to get that done. we got a long day ahead, but uh, that's going to be the game tonight, man. It's like 17 hours or something like that over to, to the Middle East. I got to ask you before we head on said charter, did you have any perhaps wild animal related travel difficulties on last night's flight? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. That was nuts, dude. Just trying to get to the live events uh, over the weekend. I, I tweeted about it a little bit. I, I've been flying for years now, like all the time, and never in my life had I had, had a flight delayed because of a skunk. One of the other planes hit a skunk and killed it and created such an odor that uh, my pilot freaked out. He, he, took the plane back off the runway to the jet bridge. And, and you know, once that happens, if you've ever flown, once, once there's a, a, a situation, it becomes a real, real problem. So it took us an hour and missed my connection. Barely made it to the, the live event in uh, Fort Lauderdale on Friday. So, yeah, that was, uh, that's a new one. Yeah, that's kind of hilarious. You hear of birds delaying things all the time, but never a skunk. So hats hey, off to that deceased it, skunk. That's the Midwest, baby. That's what we do. Funny you mentioned that on Twitter, which is where I learned it, which is where I'm going to go with this conversation next, because despite being the universal champion, despite all of your successes over the years in WWE and even before, in recent months you've sort of found yourself on the wrong side of certain segments of the WWE universe. Not all, but certainly a vocal minority. And uh, you could trace it back, you know, several months, but I think it really blew up recently at Hell in a Cell due to the, uh, let's say, controversial ending of your matchup with The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. It's kind of one of these things that, you know, where do you, where do you, where does it go? Like, what's the answer? You know, why, why? But I mean, it's sort of like people just, if they don't get what they want, they whine about it on Twitter. Right. I mean, that's kind of what happens nowadays. And, uh, that happens with everything. It's not just our industry, but, um, if you do something and it strikes a chord, then it's almost like you're doing the right thing. I don't even know anymore. It's, it's a weird industry, dude. It's 2019 and, and I don't know. I don't know what wrestling looks like anymore. It's a weird place, dude. It's absolutely bizarre. I mean, I've known you long enough. I remember when you were like the internet darling. I mean, back in the, the days of Tyler Black, which seems like lifetimes ago. What's it feel like for you to main event a major WWE pay-per-view like Hell in a Cell and go out there and leave it all in the ring and really do the best you can to the best of your ability? And then, you know, whether it be 15 minutes or an hour or the next day, you realize that it's just being you know universally panned by at least the internet community so you know you mentioned internet darling and the funny thing is you can be you know you said all the way back to tyler black but you could go back shoot six months you could go back a year a year ago uh from hell in a cell you know what i mean i was everybody's favorite they're those same people that are panning hell in a cell and uh, talking about how Seth Rollins is not cool are the same people that were clamoring for me to be uh, the guy to face Brock Lesnar going into WrestleMania. So I don't know what changed, except for the fact that I became the person that they wanted me to be, and then they hated me for it. It's a very fickle audience. It is what it is. But to answer your question directly, 
it feels awful, you know. It's not a good feeling to go out there and put your body on the line. And not just the hell in a cell, but every single night for the past however many years that I've been doing it, I go out and compete at an extremely high level. And dare I say, I'm one of the very best at my job. And I do what I have to do when I have to do it. And it's not always pretty, but you go out there and you do your job and you do it well. But, you know, people don't like it and they kind of they forget that, that it is what it is. And so uh, it hurts your feelings. You're a human being. You go out there and you work hard and, and it's fine. It's art, you can have your opinion on it. But, man, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. And I'm not the only one that agrees with you completely that you are one of, if not the best in the world at what you do, which again, brings me back to Twitter, which sort of, I, I hate bringing this up constantly at Twitter, 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 but it's become such a, sort of an integral part of our business. And it's certainly the, the vocal minority, the loudest voices you hear. So I guess what I want to do is, is sort of provide you with a platform to actually speak your mind as opposed to trying to limit your thought or explain yourself in 140 characters or less. What did it mean to you when that whole controversy, I believe it was with Will Ospreay, a very talented guy, I'm a fan of his work. What was the intent and what was going through your head at the time? Yeah, it was Will. And, you know, first of all, tons of respect to him. He works really hard uh, and he loves the industry. He's, he's an incredible talent. You know, one day I think he and I could have an awesome match uh, if, if the stars ever aligned. But, yeah, it was just one of those things said in jest. And then, you know, he responded to it saying that I said I was like the best wrestler alive or something like that. And he said he was alive or so, something along those lines. And, um, you know, to me, a big, big part of, of being one of the best is being able to draw money. And that's what our industry is at the end of the day. And people don't like that for some reason when it came from my mouth. Now, when other people talk about it, say Cody Rhodes talks about it, or Sasha Banks talks about it, or even Carl Anderson talks about it and how much money they have, or, you know, somebody takes a picture in front of a private jet, they're cool, right? They're, that's the cool thing to do. But if I just come right out and say, hey, man, I've drawn more money than you over the last whatever years, I'm the bad guy. And that's fine. I'll be that guy. If that's who the internet wants me to be, if that's who they want me to be, that's fine. They can be their thing. At the end of the day, I got nothing but respect for Will Ospreay. It was cool that he stepped up and, and we got into a little bit of a spat. To me, it's, you know, the steel line from Bischoff, right? Controversy creates cash. If we're all just buddies, if we're all just friends, then that's lame, man. If you want me to be that guy, I can be that guy. I can also be the nicest, most humble dude on the planet, but that's boring. You know, Twitter's supposed to be a place where you have fun. If you take it all too seriously, it'll really eat you alive. I was actually thinking about this conversation last night, and, and it kept reminding me of back years ago when Metallica cut their hair and they released Load, and the entire world said, oh, you sold out. You're not Metallica anymore. You don't rock. It was like they made it to the top of the mountain, and somehow, in doing so, lost all credibility and everything that, that made them so beloved. And I see that not only with you, but so many superstars in WWE or all throughout our industry. It's like, it's like the little indie band that you can keep in your pocket, but the minute they become too mainstream, it, you don't want anything to do with them. You feel like that's kind of the case? Oh, 100%. I mean, I'm not so egotistical to think that I'm the only guy that's ever made it to the top and been hated for it. I mean, you look at recent memory, Roman Reigns, had to deal with the same crap. You look, John Cena had to deal with the same crap. So it's not like this is anything new. I won't. I won't be the last. I mean, just wait till the next. You know, flavor of ice cream gets boring to that audience. They're going to do the same thing to them. So it is what it is. You know, it's not anything that I'm like shocked about, but it, it doesn't sting any less, I guess, either. Well, I want to go back to you being the guy that, that creates controversy, which you, you continue to do. So I think it was in Houston a few weeks ago. There's a video all over the internet. 
And uh, I'm going to say some of the some of the no-no words here in WWE. Kenny Omega, the ace of the uh, newest company here in the States, AEW. Obviously, he's no stranger to a lot of the guys that work here. I don't know him personally, never met him, but I, I know what he's about, know what he's done. And I guess there was a little bit of an exchange with, with you guys. I believe you're referring to them as the minor leagues. So that was fun. You know, we do these con-type uh, events. We do Q&A sessions. And so I had somebody ask me about a uh, potential matchup between Kenny Omega and myself. And look, Kenny and I uh, worked together at Ring of Honor nine, ten years ago, whatever it was, maybe a little longer even. Uh, and we worked with each other and had some really good matches. And I had a great rapport with Kenny. I actually considered him a pretty good friend and stuff. And so, you know, he told me about his time in developmental because he was signed to WWE and Deep South for a little while. Uh, you know, he ended up um, getting sick of it and quitting and stuff like that and went on to have great success in his own right. But, yeah, we were bugged. And so, again, no ill will towards Kenny Omega. And, I, and I've seen Kenny's stuff since then. And he's an incredible performer. But, again, if I just sit there and say... Oh, Kenny Omega, what a talent. I would love to wrestle him someday. Wow, wow. That doesn't make a headline, man. That's boring. That's boring. And JR's got nothing to talk about. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, God, just let us hate each other. You know, it's, I, I, look, Kenny's great. Kenny's never proven himself in the WWE. So that's what I was saying. You know, it, it, it is what it is. WWE is the top of the mountain. I'm the guy sitting at the top of the top of the mountain. And so if Kenny wants to come and, and, you know, like I said, play in the major leagues or get out of the minor leagues or whatever, then that's fine. The bottom line is I'd love Kenny to come to me because I'm not going to him anytime soon. Love it. Love everything about it. So Crown Jewel's just a few days away. You and the Fiend Bray Wyatt, falls count anywhere. The match cannot be stopped for any reason. What can the fans expect out of this one? Oh, geez. I don't even know what to expect out of this one. <laughs> if you look at the last one, uh, you know what I mean? So it's it's not, and it's going to be super weird in front of this audience uh, over in the Middle East. I honestly have no idea how they're going to take to this type of match. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with the Fiend. I don't know how that's going to look, how that's going to sound. If you're watching on the network, what you can expect is going to be all out brawl. You know, I'm going to do everything I can to put the guy away. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go out and do what I do, man. And if you look at my track record over the, the last long period of time, I've, I've been all right, especially as Universal Champion, you know, some pretty sweet barn burners, uh, you know, with Strowman and AJ Styles and stuff like that. And so I, I, I'm pretty good when it comes to title matches and being awesome at my job. And so I think you can expect more of that at Crown Jewel. Well, selfishly, I'm excited to see uh, pissed off, chip on his shoulder, Seth Rollins, because I know you're looking to... Uh, make certain segments of the audience eat their words after Hell in a Cell. Well, you got a lot going on today, man. I appreciate your time. It's the first after the bell. Hopefully uh, they won't cancel me just yet. Maybe we can do it a little bit longer in time, but we are jacked up. We are chock full of everything today, including our good friend and WWE COO, Triple H, who we will be talking to very, very shortly. Seth, thanks for coming on, dude. I uh, cannot say how much I appreciate it. Good luck. Yeah, man, thank you. Take it easy. Of course, you can see Seth Rollins defend against The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, October 31st. That's this coming Thursday, streaming live on the WWE Network, 1 p.m. Eastern start time. We will be right back here on After the Bell with a very, very special guest, Triple H. Welcome back to ATB. This is Corey Graves asking the questions you never thought WWE would let me ask. At least some of them. 
If you want to comment, if you want to tweet, if you want to do the internet things, at me, at WWE Graves, or the show at After the Bell WWE, and use the hashtag After the Bell or hashtag ATBWWE. And as for right now, as the late, great Lemmy would say, behold the king, the king of kings. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is the 14-time world champion, WWE COO, the king of kings, the cerebral assassin, the game. Am I forgetting any? No, I think that's, that's most of the memorable ones. Some of them I've been called <laughs> a lot of terrible things really quickly. Seems to move on, though, so it's a good one. <laughs> So, as every week is in WWE, this is an insane one. Uh, getting ready for Crown Jewel. And Crown Jewel is a special attraction, and then it's got two really unusual circumstances. One, we've got the lineal heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Tyson Fury. And we've got Cain Velasquez, former UFC heavyweight champion of the world, on the same card in the same night. How did this come about? It is crazy because of that, with, with the two happening at the same time, almost, I think, probably unprecedented for us to have something that big from an outside source coming in. Interestingly, how this came about, there was a lot of conversations happening about some outside interests and doing one-off things and some celebrity uh, integrations, or whether from sports or from other things, and, and um, a bunch of names were thrown around. Uh, the Velasquez thing was shown around. Obviously, he had had some interest in this. He had been to the Performance Center. At the point in time when he came to the Performance Center and he worked out with us, though, he had shown the athletic ability but was kind of still... Uh, still like to fight and you know unless you're all in in this right. it's tough to to really make a go at this but since then I think he had kind of gotten a different place with fighting and he had done a few matches with AAA wearing a mask that was him though uh, even though he wore a mask it really was Cain Velasquez <laughs> maybe but, the tattoo gave it away <laughs> yeah but I'm not sure where the mask was but anyways historically or you know it works for the lucha but he he clearly had the interest so that reach out was easy the Fury one was another name that was put out there it was more just a, hey, you think there'd be any interest? And I knew that he had interest in the business, WWE, from interviews past and also from probably around the time, I think even before he fought Klitschko, that he had made a few inquiries around WWE and there was some conversation very briefly back and forth. So I knew there was interest there. But when we reached out to him just to say, hey, is there anything you'd ever want to do down the line? He was like, oh my God, I would love it, and not only that, but I have time right now. If you have anything, it would be perfect for me. Well, it's, it's not like he's preparing for the biggest fight of his career. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I thought, there's no way he's going to want to do... Like, when I first heard that, I was like, that's his team saying that. There's no way he's going to want to do right. this. He's got the Deontay Wilder fight potentially February, booked right? in, like, end of February, yeah. and he's just coming off a hellacious fight. So I thought, there's no way he's going to want to do this, but it was immediately put out to us that, yeah, he would be interested, and now would be a great window for him. That was relayed back up through the team and to Vince, who then was like, hmm, interesting. See if he'd be interested in this. We talked to his team. He got on the, you know, became a part of that conversation directly. And then very quickly, like, I think we talked to him on a Wednesday, Thursday. He was on a plane headed out to L.A. for the premiere. You know, we hadn't crossed T's dotted the I's yet, but we were getting there. And it turns out he's a huge fan. So he's grown up his whole life. Wanting to do this was interesting as we were doing all the media for it. It was one of the big questions that he got asked is, why would he do this? He's risking a fight. He just kept saying, I'm not going to live my life under what ifs. This is me living out a fantasy right now. And it's the coolest thing in the world that I can do and not do it. You know, there's risk in everything you do. And But he, man, he's he's loving it. Okay, so you mentioned about Cain Velasquez needing to be all in to really succeed in WWE. Yeah. Tyson Fury, what have you seen from him so far? 
It's an interesting thing where, like, Kane is kind of was a fan a little bit, but it's kind of picking up the love for this later. Tyson was a fan his whole life. Funny thing, he said to me at one point when we were doing interviews at ESPN the other day, kind of felt like this was what I always thought I was going to end up going into, and then boxing ended up being the thing. But he grew up as a kid with his brothers, and you know they would go and try to take VHS tapes and watch as much as they could, and then they'd all just fight each other. I was going to say, all the while punching each other in yeah, the face. Yeah, <laughs> replicate what we were doing in WWE. And because he's such a big fan, this is like fantasy camp for him. But he also came in, when you see, sometimes you see celebrities that are like, oh, yeah, I really want to do this. And then the first time they hit the ropes or the first time they take a bump. Not what they expect. Yeah, they're like, hey, wow, this hurts. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> he's loving it. You know, he's a natural showman, right? You don't have to look at him very hard to see that. Right. That's what he is. In a way, he's custom made for this. He's so sports entertainment in a different sport. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a way, he's doing what we do there. Right. And, you know, but he has the footwork of a fighter. He has the mannerisms of a fighter. I mean, he's a big, gangly 6'9", mm-hmm. uh, but, but he's a crazy athlete. But what he gets is not only the, the motions, but he gets the, like... I do this, and then I'm cocky, and I have some swagger, right, and the, I, you the know, things, as yeah, he gets, <laughs> yeah, he gets those little emotional things that really connect you to a character. So I really believe, as hard as he's working at the PC and all the things that he's done, and just seeing his instincts for it, this is going to shock a lot of people. He very much reminds me of Floyd and Ronda okay. when they were starting. In that, not only was the athletic part easy, but the innate ability to understand the character, but also understand the why the character would do this psychologically. Oh, right, yeah, I get this. That's what I would do there and be sure, able to take it to that level. To it is, and it's instinctual. You either sometimes have that or you don't, and he just has it. Well, I'm excited to see what he brings to it. And as far as Kane goes, is, is Kane signed to us long-term? Yeah, Kane has a deal with us. Kane is a bit more long-term on a developmental. Like He wants to be a WWE superstar now, uh, much like Ronda did and is doing. I think the Kane piece of it will be just how good can he get? How quickly? And and what does that mean? You know, if you looked at it, the ability to put together the one thing with Brock is great. Now where do we go with it? You know, obviously he's got a long road, but he's, again, a super dedicated athlete. I think some of the personality stuff for him, the character stuff, you know, he's a fighter that there's different kinds of fighters, right? You have the McGregor fighter in MMA that is loud and out there and cocky and all the other things. And then you have a fighter like Kane that was taught don't show emotion, right. keep everything in check, fight cold, and don't let your opponent see that you know, you're know you either hurt or not hurt or whatever's going on. Uh, he's in that camp. So it's tough for him to turn all the emotions on sure. that he doesn't necessarily have. Uh, sort of right out of himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's kind of kind of pushed that out of his system. Right on, but he definitely has the interest in doing this all the time. He does. That's what, you know, that's what he wants to do. So, um, And that was the conversation around him of this this opportunity. He was doing some things in some other places. He was clearly, you know, still looking to do it with us, um, was reaching out to see if we would have interest in doing more, and the timing of it was just right. But about the same time, the Fury stuff all came to be. If you were a betting man, what are the odds we see Tyson Fury in some sort of regular role in the future? Oh, man. Um, I'm not going to give you a time for Yeah, him. yeah, a yeah. He's guy. He's only, what, 31 years yeah, old? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that's off the table. I, I think he he's enamored with it. I, I can tell you that I think that uh, he's enamored with it without the schedule part. Right. <laughs> That's the real game changer. So the funny thing is uh, I flew him from Orlando. He flew back with me after NXT television. So we were all in Orlando because he's staying down there training at the Performance mm-hmm. Center. So we finished the show on a Wednesday night and then I had a few meetings and then we met at the plane and we flew together to New York and then we're up 
at whatever time, 7 a.m. to go do media. So I think we landed around 3.34 by the time we got to the hotel room, and then we were up 7, 7.30. I think we had to be at ESPN at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, right? And the first thing he said when I got to the plane, he was like, I don't know how you guys do this travel yeah, thing. Yeah, as we know it, <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, I don't know how you guys do this travel thing. I'm, a, I'm dying. And it was like day one of him traveling, so. Well, I can't wait for Crown Jewel and see what those two bring to the table. But before we get to Crown Jewel, Wednesday nights. Yeah. NXT. It's now live. You've, you've done the media before going into this. Now we're, you know, a month or so into the live product. What's changed now? What, now g- give me your, your inside look on how things are as opposed to how you expected them, what's better, mm-hmm. what's worse. I'm excited where we are. It's a funny thing. First of all, like, you ever think we'd get to this point? Never. Like, I remember when NXT was our little redheaded stepchild that yeah. we were just, just a bunch of rejects nobody thought was ever going to see the light yeah, of day. Yeah, and all the steps that it took along yep. the way of getting it where it is, it's very cool to see. But I'm, I'm thrilled with where it is. You know, there's a lot of speculation and a lot of conversation made about, oh, the Wednesday Night War and, and what they're doing, what we're doing. Look, it's never been about that for me. Regardless of placement, anything else, we were on Wednesday nights. We stayed on Wednesday nights, whether anybody wants to believe that or not, because that's where that, that was the viewing pattern, right? right? Wednesday nights. I've been saying for a long time, the one thing that I felt like NXT could use is a bit more time. We were at a point where we had a, a pretty robust bullpen, so mm-hmm. to speak, a bench of, of talent waiting to go. But in a one-hour show, when you're building towards the next takeover or whatever, you just don't have the room to keep debuting talent and getting people out there and giving them that opportunity sure. as you're trying to tell that episodic storytelling. So it became the the curse of the one hour. Awesome, awesome ability to digest it quickly, fun show, all that stuff, but you run out of room to debut. And I think this has opened up that door to us getting new characters out there, new talent out there, giving new opportunities. And you'll see more and more of that. In the first few weeks, you want to build up these epic shows around the talent that you have that are as, as named as possible. So the first, you know, that 10-2 show was almost like a takeover in sure. a way. I feel like in the last week or so, we've really come into the smooth transition back into what NXT is. The storytelling, the characters, kind of building those long-range stories, and then letting them deliver on it in the ring, you know. And I'm, I'm happy because I don't feel like it's changed. I don't feel like the product has changed. I don't feel like NXT has morphed into becoming something else or trying to pretend to be Raw or SmackDown. It is what it is, and that's the exciting part about it. And to me, it's not about today. It's about the long range. No different than when we first started it. And sure, it was, uh, you know, I, I can remember the days when we had to bring main roster talent down there to, to, get to, people in the to get people in the building. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, just give it time. We have to you build this slowly over time. And to me, no different than a talent. If you hot shot it and something gets over, okay, it's over, but it can die out as quickly as it right. picked up steam. You want it to roll out long term. Like a talent, when a talent gets over organically, grassroots, step at a time, it takes time. But when they're over, they're over. To your point about having the, the main roster guys, you got, just got Finn Balor back. Yeah. What's that mean for NXT having a, an established star from Raw or SmackDown back here where, where he really started yeah. over here? To me, it means it's the solidifying of what we've been saying, which is there is no main roster. There is three brands. I think that if you asked a lot of people, they could give you their opinions on where they would like to sit. I don't think NXT would get mentioned any less than Raw or SmackDown do. 
I'm, I'm talking about the talent. Sure, yeah. In, in those conversations. I've actually had those conversations now versus where when NXT, when, when I was still around, that was still the goal was to get to Raw or SmackDown. Yeah. I actually know for a fact that at least a handful of guys say, hey, I'm happy staying here for good. This is, yeah. this is like a Yeah, I, I want to be here. And, right. and that's the goal long term is to make NXT this additional place. Then when you add in the UK to that, and again, slowly building that over time to get it bigger and bigger, you add into that other places around the globe, whether that's Japan, Mexico, India, Middle East, right? You start to add in those places. That's where we intend to go. When I first came to WWE, I remember having a conversation with Taker shortly within the first couple of years, and he'd been here like six years. And I remember thinking in my mind, like, oh my God, can you imagine staying in a place six years and being that entrenched it's like forever Mm -hmm. and now you have guys have been here 10 12 years that are in the middle somewhere and the longevity of those careers of being here i think grow exponentially to where you can come here you can have a meaningful career where there's a period of time you're on raw period of time you're on smackdown period of time you're in nxt here maybe three four months where we float you over to the uk or you go to japan or you go to mexico or wherever those places are and you can reboot and refresh and come back and it's a whole new sure. crop of people. Again. It's yeah. like the territory system, but within. In know? a way. Yeah. And, and building it yourself, which is really organically, if you think about it, the next step, when we started to do the talent development stuff, it all stemmed off of a conversation of, if we don't grow this development, where are we getting these talent from? Right. Because everything else was contracting and shrinking at the time. And and there really was no place for talent to learn. They could learn the in-ring, but to learn television production and everything else that comes along with it, that's a different skill set. That was the, the biggest mind blower when I first got signed was television. Yeah. I mean, you'd heard of the hard cam whenever you were on the indies because they'd have like a one-camera shoot, but then you get there and realize what you're doing, and it's just like a real eye-opener. You're like, well, you know, what was I doing this whole time? It's a whole different world. Yeah. I remember when I first broke in, you know, and, and I remember coming up here one time and Vince telling me something like in passing, right as I'm about to walk out the curtain, like, look for the jib camera when you get out there and push me out the curtain. And I remember coming back thinking, why didn't you look at the jib? Like, I don't know what that is. Like, what are, what are you talking about? A jib camera? What is that? Right. You know, it's definitely a learning curve. What goes through your mind when you get a call that says, hey, I need these four NXT talents right off the bat, right away. We're taking them to Raw. We're taking them to SmackDown. That will change now. It was before where it was just like, hey, this is what we need. This is the moment we need it in. You know, when Vince called and said, uh, I need, basically, I need your entire women's division <laughs> and then from NXT. And I was like, oh my God, like the whole thing. And pretty much, and he was like, well, not the whole thing. And then he listed all the talent. I'm like, well, that's everyone. You, you can know. keep these two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just got here. And what I had said then was like, can you leave me, Asuka? If you leave me, Asuka, I can tent pull her and, and build the rest of it around her. And then no problem. But, you know, all those women kind of went at the same time, and there was a plan for more to come right after that. So I was like, man, that's tough. Sure. Now you put yourself in a position where you kind of sort of can't do that. You have to give some considerations to the other brand, and so there needs to be longer-term plans laid out. Hey, this person's going to move to Raw, but they're going to move in February. This person's going to move, they're going to move in June. We'll also be done a program with this person here. You guys have interest in that you know what i mean so we can begin to take back and begin to take things that are you know if they don't have something for somebody if i see somebody that's just sitting not doing anything and i think like you know what i got a big idea for that person great you answer my next question is there a likelihood that we'll see another finn balor type situation i do yeah i think i think now this is sort of the template of whatever is on the table if you look at the roster there's gonna be times when they're like 
look, until the next draft comes or whatever, this talent's here, but they kind of worked with everybody and we're going to finish up this program with them. And then we almost kind of inherently need to sit them down for three months or six months or whatever that is just to clear this up so we can get to this other side. And then when sure. we do the switch, it's new again. Great, give them to me. I'll take them. Like you mentioned, the territories. I'll take them. Here's the window, and here's what I'm going to do with you in that window for the most part, barring you know all the other things that can happen. It's a cool opportunity. And I think right now, uh, Finn and I had this conversation the other day. He actually uh, said it on the Fox show that we were talking about um, the differences between Ron Smackdown. And he basically said, if Ron Smackdown are the Avengers movies and it's Hollywood, big budget Hollywood, NXT is like going back to Broadway. Broadway, yeah. You know, I saw that. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah. And I had heard that a couple of weeks prior. I was in a meeting with NBCU. And I don't remember who used it. Somebody just said it making the analogy and it really resonated with me sure and finn and i were having that conversation and then he used it the other night but it's it's the truth it's in a way less bells and whistles tighter uh sort of focus on the action not the fans not the the size of it not the spectacle of it not the you know the lights and the bells and whistles there are some of that but it's more at that point about the performances it's more at that point about the actors and the actresses so to speak right on the stage of Broadway, and people are still lined up around the building to get in. They're just getting into a thousand-seat theater as opposed to going and seeing the blockbuster film. In their local cinema, yeah. Exactly. It's almost like the deeper appreciation in the, for, yes. for the art of what it is. So. Yeah. Well, speaking of seats, I think it was a perfect transition. I'd love to sit here and pick your brain for hours, but you have a flight to catch. But this yeah. is the first inaugural episode of After the Bell, and uh, we've developed a bit of a game so who better to play the game than the game? I see what you did there. Though. Yeah, see? You know? <laughs> so um, this, this game, in honor of maybe the greatest segment in the history of Monday Night Raw, that being the electric chair. Uh, I thought you were going to say the Katie Vick. Oh, God. <laughs> wow, maybe. Oh. Yeah, I, think, I think you actually beat me. I thought you had a... You had There's a, no mannequin back no here. Man. There's The cane mask's over on the wall over there. <laughs> But, uh, okay, so the second best segment <laughs> in the history, uh, it did die a death, though, however. The electric chair, we have named this the electric seat. Uh, we're going to put a minute on the clock. I'm going to rapid fire some questions at you. We're going to run through as many as you can. Right. If you win, you get nothing. Uh, yeah. Because it's the first one ever. So maybe yeah. you're setting the bar here. Yeah. All right. Apparently they have candy bars in the other room because they offered me one as I was coming in. So maybe that could be That could thing. be it. That could yeah. be it. A consolation prize, also the grand Snickers prize. Snickers or something. Yeah. <laughs> that was a sponsor plug. So yes. Yeah, we're going to try to get that. Organic. <laughs> All right. One minute on the clock. What time did you go to sleep last night? 1 a.m. Ozzy or Lemmy? Lem. High school. Tight, though. Tight, yeah. <laughs> High school. Awesome or terrible? Awesome. What color is your toothbrush? Uh, white. What's the last book you read? Uh, I don't know the name of it. It's a book of quotes by uh, athletes and coaches. Who makes you laugh the hardest? Sean. Biggest pet peeve? Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> With video. and Because uh, <laughs> <Right. laughs> it's a TV show. That's right, it is. It's, we're breaking all the rules here. What would you do tomorrow if you didn't have to work? It's, a, uh, it's like just a fantasy question. I have to work. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> Name a song that reminds you of Stephanie. Um, Sade. Um, anything by Sade. All right. Kind what is song. the worst style choice you've ever made? The 90s to the mid-2000s. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole decade. <laughs> Wonderful. We made it through. So if I'm judging this, you won. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, now we have a goal to beat. Uh, but real quick, before we go, I know you got a plane to catch. Mentioned Lemmy or Ozzy. Yeah. I made it my personal mission. 
you as well, I know, we, a few years back, recorded what is believed to be one of, if not the last, video interview with Lemmy before yes. he passed. Uh, we did it at the Rainbow in L.A. It was one of the coolest experiences as a Motorhead fan and a wrestling fan yeah. to kind of have those worlds mesh. What do we have to do to get this thing to see the light of day? So it's funny, we were just talking about that the other day because they just got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which... Uh, well, they, they're nominated. They're, they're nominated to get in. They're nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which originally it's funny because they didn't induct or nominate Mickey and Phil, right? And then they changed it, so it's very cool. I want to try to create a campaign to get them in there because I think it would be awesome. But I also think that there's an opportunity around that to engage in a bigger way and to get that out there. I'd really love to put that video out around this. And um, it's been so long now, it'd be great. Like watching it again, it'll be sure. like fresh. Uh, but I want to get that out this year for sure. Uh, especially around the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think it would be awesome. He was such a great guy and was such a, a close friend of mine. And you know how cool he was. You you were there that day doing that interview, which thanks for doing, by the way. My pleasure. I, I, that was one of those ones where I kind of felt like we needed somebody to sit there and ask questions. So if we didn't have somebody directing it, it kind of would have got off the tracks. Well, it was awesome. And it kind of gave me my platform here for this brand new podcast. Yeah, uh, cool. But yeah, let's let's make sure we uh, get that uncovered. Uh, yeah. I feel like you might know a guy, or you might be able to I'm, pull I'm, a few strings. Yeah, I'm working on it. You know, it's a funny they they were making like a kind of a doc that went around it, and there's some stuff this year with the 25th anniversary for me, so to speak, in this company that they're they're doing like this big music release thing and some other stuff. So I feel like it might be a good time to kind of while they're getting put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, maybe to just in kind of encapsulate that old stuff together. I'd really like to get it out because it was cool. He wasn't necessarily feeling the best at that time in his life, but sure. it, to your point, it is one of the last things he ever did. And the thing I remember most about it, because it was one of the last times I saw him, was when we were walking out of the rainbow. Is Usually Lem was very cut and dry with most everything. I, I very distinctly got the feeling he didn't want to leave. Yeah, like He didn't want the interview to be over. He didn't want us to leave. He didn't want to leave the rainbow. Like when we walked outside, he, he just kind of hung out with us and was sure. chilling around and just kept staying there. And usually, like, he'd been like, all right, CH, and just, you know, <laughs> he kept, and he'd been gone. I think at that point, he knew where things were headed, and mm-hmm. I think he, he felt it and he could sense it. He actually said that to me privately, but like, that's the thing that sticks out the most of all the things in that was just him. It's almost like he just didn't want the moment to go away mm-hmm. and, and to end because I think he kind of felt like it was one of the last ones, but uh, it was cool. I, I really want to get that out there. It lives on forever. We'll make sure it yeah. sees the light of day. Yeah. Well, go get on your plane. I appreciate you hanging out. There's a lot more I want to get into, but uh, we'll have to save that for next time. Appreciate Provided it. Provided you guys don't cancel me. Yeah, I don't know. Either one, I think they'll give you at least two or three. Maybe <laughs> I can get in on another one before they, they ask you. I'll get myself in trouble somehow. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. There's still a lot more to come here on After the Bell. Of course, I'm talking about the SmackDown Women's Champion, Bayley, and the 16-time World Heavyweight Champion, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Still to come. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm still Corey Graves. This is still After the Bell, the first show on the new WWE Podcast Network. And I can't tell you what the next show is going to be just yet. I know, but I'm not going to tell you, so don't bother asking me, okay? But I promise, when the time comes, you're going to hear it here first. This is the first ever After the Bell, and my next guest is the first ever Women's Grand Slam champion in WWE history. As a matter of fact, she's the only Women's Grand Slam champion in WWE history. She is the current SmackDown Women's Champion, one of the driving forces behind the Women's Evolution 
It's Bailey. Hi, Bailey. Hi, Corey. How are you? A little impatient. You guys have been making me sit around for the past 20 minutes. And I'm trying to have brunch on my day off. All right. Well, I apologize on behalf of my incompetent staff. I know nothing about technology. I'm a caveman when it comes to these things. So my deepest, most sincere apologies. But the floor is yours, I promise. I'm just going to cut right to the chase and get to what everybody's been talking about amongst the WWE universe. And this is the, uh, the new Bailey, so to speak. The sort of change in attitude, or as you claim, the real Bailey. Has this been a long time coming? This is what's bothering the most is that everybody keeps saying the new Bailey. What's with this new attitude? All I did, and what I told you on Friday, all I did was cut my hair. And because I, I slashed a few colorful buddies in, in my entrance, everybody is throwing a fit. But isn't this what you've talked about all the time? Isn't this what everybody was saying, that I need some sort of edge, that I need, I need to do this? And everybody's trying to tell me how to live my life. And now that I'm finally doing it, I'm getting all kinds of backlash. I'm getting all kinds of threats. And, and people are telling me now I'm doing the wrong way. I, I just don't understand. I've been trying to please you guys for the past seven years. And I did what was right for me. I did, you know, I'm growing. I'm freaking 30 years old. How do you think it makes me feel walking around with a side ponytail? I'm 30 years old. I cut my hair. Big deal. Let's be honest. I've known you since you arrived back in FCW, even pre-NXT days. And, yeah, I I realize you're not an arrested development adult, you know, running around hugging people. But uh, even this, this is, I've never seen this, this, this Bailey. I mean, granted, you know. We're not best friends, but we've spent enough time around each other that this is surprising even to those that that know you the best. Well, you know, in this business, I'm used to people judging me. I'm used to people thinking that they know what's best for me, and that's especially the fans and the stupid Twitter that's taken over the whole world and and taken over the, the wrestling business. They think they know what's best for us, and they think they know what's right, but they don't know a damn thing. They don't know who I am just because of what they see on TV. They don't know what's going on. They don't know how hard I've been working to make this division the best for them. They still give me crap. Oh, Bailey needs a new finisher. Oh, Bailey needs to stop doing this. Bailey needs to stop doing that. Did they hear the introduction that you just gave me? I'm the first ever Grand Slam Women's Champion, so I think I'm doing something right, and I've worked for the WWE for seven years. Well, listen, I, I agree. Your accolades speak for themselves. And you very recently have said so much as you're tired of being in the shadow of a Becky Lynch or a Charlotte Flair. And credit where it's due. You were one of the four horsewomen. You and Sasha Banks were, were just as integral in the women's evolution. And I can see the frustration. Yeah, and we never get no damn credit for that. Well, well, I'm... Talks about Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. I'm doing my best to, to give credit where it's due. Maybe it's late, but it's, it's coming out. All right, I'm being honest with you. So I, I've got to ask. There's a lot of rumors, a, a lot of... The stories being passed around the locker room that after WrestleMania, after you and Sasha lost the women's tag team titles, there was an incident of you guys throwing a fit in the locker room or crying on the floor or whatever. Long story short, it leads to Sasha disappearing for, for what, four months, something like that. How much did that have to do with this side of you coming to light? You think that Sasha leaving, taking some time away, has something to do with what's going on right now. No, I'm, I'm asking. You have the balls to ask me something like that, Corey. I'm asking, all right? I'm trying to find out, get the answers. That's kind of what this whole show is predicated on. I mean, Sasha Banks left. She came back. She's in the main event. Uh, you, you were, you know, synonymous with Sasha Banks. She's still by your side to this point. And, and now it's the new Bailey, and, and Bailey is in the spotlight. 
I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just asking. How much did that have to do? How much did one have to do with the other? Bailey. Glad to see she doesn't have a side ponytail anymore, but we're still in sixth grade. Ladies and gentlemen, there we go. One of my first guests on my podcast just hung up on me. Well done, Bailey. Mill, uh, how much time do I have? How much do we have planned for Bailey? Ten more minutes. Uh, that was the majority of my SmackDown segment. Had a whole bunch of cool stuff to get to. But anyway, let's talk about what I alluded to on my, my little Instagram rant that I put out the other day. Cesaro. SmackDown, take it for what it was. It was, it was a build. It was a promotion to Crown Jewel. It's always awesome to have Hogan and Flair in the house. But that six-man main event, what a blast. For six guys who really have no interesting history or rivalry, it was a lot of just fun action. It was fast-paced. I wish that match could have gone 30 minutes, 35 minutes. I mean, all six of those guys were incredible. But who stood out to me again, as he always does, is Cesaro. And in my opinion, Cesaro is the single most underrated superstar, most underutilized superstar, not only in WWE, but in the entire wrestling industry. I have known Cesaro for probably close to 15 years. I remember when he first came to the United States and he used to wrestle in uh, business attire with a dress shirt and cut off sleeves and a tie. And there was something about him. Everything about Cesaro is this business though. I mean, he is like you, we always say it about Randy Orton. If you were to design a sports entertainer from the ground up, to me, Cesaro is kind of that same ilk from the physicality to what he's capable of, to the technique. I mean, this dude has literally dedicated his life. He has traveled around the world, through Europe, through Japan, through Mexico, learning different styles. And there is literally nobody you can put in a ring in WWE with Cesaro that won't tear it down. Cesaro is incapable of having a bad match. I mean, he may tell you otherwise. I'm telling you from my perspective, as a guy who's watched every second of WWE for the last three and a half, four years, Cesaro is the guy. And I guess it's because he's not necessarily compelling on the microphone. Again, he'll be the first to admit that to you. I don't want to listen to Cesaro give a a five-minute diatribe backstage or in the ring to kick off Raw or SmackDown. And I guess maybe that's why he isn't getting the opportunities to be the guy. But I challenge you to find another superstar on the roster, other than maybe a Seth Rollins, who, given the platform of a WWE ring, or a ring anywhere around the world for that matter, but given the time to do what he does best, Cesaro will have an arena full of people chanting his name on their feet because they believe, because Cesaro believes like nobody else. And I think it's overdue to show the world what he's truly capable of. And I'm talking about a 15, 20, 30 minute main event on a pay-per-view. We saw the magic Cesaro and Roman Reigns created those last few moments. That was as exciting as anything that happened all of SmackDown, maybe all week. Give me more of that. Just give me Cesaro. And not necessarily on the the same wavelength, but similar. Uh, Another guy I think that's not getting his just due, but I believe he will in time, is Drew Gulak. Gulak is different. He's a wrestler. In the ring, when the bell rings, Gulak wrestles, and it's different. His presentation, the way he goes about things in the ring. Another one, given the right stage, not getting killed by Braun Strowman and the Lucha House Party, whoever else comes out that week, Gulak can talk. I don't know if the PowerPoint presentation is going to be his keys to the kingdom, but if you got to see anything that he's capable of on 205 Live or in his reign as Cruiserweight Champion, remember the match that he won the Cruiserweight title, and it was a triple threat match. Gulak is the real deal. 
And I'm glad at least that he's caught the attention of somebody to earn a roster spot on SmackDown. And I'm genuinely excited because I really enjoy what Gulak's capable of. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about the potential of a, of a Drew Gulak versus Cesaro. I'm not entirely certain it's never happened before in some promotion somewhere on the independents. But give me those two guys on SmackDown. You want a sports feel? You want to make everybody believe that these two guys are going to manipulate the hell out of each other's bodies and hurt one another in the most unique, interesting ways? These are two guys to do it. And they'll also, you know, smack the living hell out of one another through the duration. That sort of stuff excites me. Those are the two big standouts from SmackDown Live. Sort of bookending the evening, we saw the immortal Hulk Hogan and, of course, the man who will lead the rival team at Crown Jewel, the 16-time world heavyweight champion, the limousine-riding, jet-flying, kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, son-of-a-gun, Notice I didn't woo because it would have been just a disservice to one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of all time. It is my honor and privilege to introduce the nature boy, Ric Flair. How are you, sir? I'm good, Corey. My hero, how are you? I'm fantastic. This pod- I'm a lot more interested than Triple H. Could keep me on hold. <laughs> what does he, he know? <laughs> I was trying to get you guys on at the same time. I figured we'd be here for two or three straight days. It'd probably be a good you're time. Just trying, you're just trying to get a bump in your salary. That's exactly right. I'm trying to get ratings. I need to get paid, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we are only a couple days away from Crown Jewel, Team Flair versus Team Hogan. I'm excited. It's always awesome to have any legends of your status, of course, having the Hulkster there. It was brought to my attention that it's been almost 30 years since you first entered the WWE world. And back then, Hogan was the man on top. You were the man everywhere else. And uh, there's been rumors for years that originally... WrestleMania 8 was supposed to be Hulk Hogan versus Nature Boy Ric Flair. Why didn't that happen? You know, that came up last uh, Friday in Kansas City. It comes up all the time in discussion. I don't know, and that's the honest-to-God truth. I think Hulk was um, getting ready to leave to do a Thunder in Paradise. Whether he and Vince couldn't come to terms on uh, his future and you know the direction of the company. You know, to be honest with you, Corey, I was having so much fun, I didn't care. I never thought about it. I was so relieved to be there in terms of of perception from you all these years later and what it did for me mentally to get away from uh, WCW and Jim Hurd and that whole chaotic mess, which, as you know, has been up and down and ended up in a disaster. You know, Vince wanted me to come in 86, and he called me again in 87 and 88. You know, I would semi-commit, and then at the last minute I just said, gosh, I don't know, the first one being 86, they wanted me to wrestle Savage at SummerSlam in the Garden. It was a huge opportunity. But the poor horsemen were hot while my friends were there. It was never a question of, of leaving my friends, because I had friends everywhere. I was, I was very fortunate to have had a lot of friends that were up there at that time. But I just was loyal to NWA. When you're the NWA champion, and I'm probably the last, I guess what Nash calls me, the last traveling champion, and you've been loyal to that organization, I just couldn't get myself to leave. You're, you're lucky enough to have this incredible, amazing career that spanned generations. And, and of course, you, you really are, are known for legendary matchups with, with Dusty Rhodes, with Sting, with Ricky Steamboat. If Nature Boy in his prime could still go 60 minutes with anybody who's in WWE today to really make that kind of magic, who would it be? Oh, I would love to work with Roman. I've said that. I've, I've made that no secret. 
I think Roman's phenomenal. He, he'd be right up my alley. Seth is great. I had the, the honor of wrestling both Randy and AJ a number of times, but I was, you know, in my 50s. It wasn't even a fair, uh, actually, I was in my 60s when I was wrestling AJ, I think. So, I mean, just, you know, could I get around the ring? Yeah, but it's kind of like the Shawn Michaels match where Shawn literally carried me for 30 minutes when I retired. You know, you know, people say, what a great match. I said, well, Sean had the match with himself, and just, you know, I was part of it. But, that, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's going to be able to recognize your shortcomings, you know, and there comes a time. Can I, could I go through it? Can I take the bumps? Yes. But does it look like I did, you know, in, in my prime? No, by any means. So as my skills declined, I brought an entertainment aspect to my work. What does it feel like? at this stage in your life and in your career to be really breaking through in pop culture. You're, you're practically hip-hop standard nomenclature now. I hear Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Drip, you got Offset from Migos rocking your robe on yeah. SmackDown. <laughs> How's that feel? It's great when Offset reached out to me, the Atlanta guy, and said, you want to do this? I said, yeah, and I was you know, flattered. You know, it's just something you never anticipate. I think it's one of those things that it's great to be successful in, in your career and whatever your endeavor in life is, but to have that uh, respect and appreciation from people in other walks of life and doing other things is the ultimate uh, compliment to your success and what you accomplished in, in, in your uh, line of work. So the football players and the teams want to use my to be the man, and I'm flattered by it, and it's, it's a unique situation, and I, I, don't, I haven't seen it happen. For very many people, I didn't like Hollywood. I gave that a go. And my hat's off to John and Dave and, of course, Dwayne. But those are long hours, no fun, take, retake. And, I mean, it, you know, I got that saying, one take, Nate. All the respect coming in your way is much deserved. And I, I heard another rumor. Uh, maybe you can uh, maybe you can verify it for me. I hear that Michael Jordan's not going to be the only Carolina guy with a shoe line happening. Did you just sign a deal with Adidas? We're just working out. The line is already, I've already seen pictures of the shoes and everything. And they're, once again, they're jumping into the pop culture part of it. And uh, they're going to be really nice. Footwear, not only for sports, but footwear for leisure. They're going to really look nice. You know, it'll be in the same price range as the Air Jordan and some of that stuff. It'll be a flex market of people that want to spend that kind of money, but it'll look nice. And it's um, another opportunity to, to add to your brand, which is, you know, a word that's uh, used a lot right now, especially for the young kids. And it's important that they follow it. I mean, whatever Charlotte is doing now is stuff that she'll be able to fall back on the rest of her life. The WWE affords you that. Here I am, seven years old, and still relevant, not only with the music industry and stuff like that, but within the company because of 2K and their continued ability to push was old as new again. And that applies to a lot of things in life. So for me personally, it's been great. Well, we're all happy for you. I love seeing where the Nature Boy brand continues to grow, even in 2019. On tap, up next, Nature. We're headed across the world. We're headed to Crown Jewel. Team Flair versus Team Hogan. Give me one last shot as to why Team Flair is going to get the job done. Well, Team Flair will ultimately bring together a group, a collection of what, one, in my estimation, the three top guys in our business, or four, are Roman, Randy Orton, AJ, of course, and Seth Rollins. If I'm to pick out the four guys that can really go, I personally like Andrade a lot. 
But if you're going to look at the guys that the company is basing things around and, you know, take huge returns from it. And to have two of them involved in it alone, Roman with Hulk and then me having the privilege of having Randy who, when he wants to, and I tell him this, that when he feels like it, he's the best performer in the business. It all depends on how he feels when he wakes up every day because it's hard to believe he's only 38 or 39, been in the business, what, 17 years, and uh, still has that look. He's got the best look in the world, 6'4", 40. I mean, it amazes me that he maintains that kind of level of conditioning. So to take him and Baron Corbin and Shinsky, all these guys, Lashley, I mean, my team is loaded. Hawks team, he's got Roman. I like Ali, but it thins out a little bit after that. So look for Team Flair. You're going to be there calling. I'll be there ringside. I'll be calling the action. And I know, I know, I know that if Corey Graves has my back, Team Flair, and I've been cleared, by the way, Corey, that's the secret. I've been cleared. I've got a medical release. So never, ever forget who the dirtiest player in the game is, man. Absolutely not. I'll be equipped and I'll be ready in the words of Pedro Morales for any kind of action. (laughs) I cannot wait. I'm about to hop on a plane here. We'll have to do this again next time a little bit longer. I appreciate you hanging out while you had time. Yeah, guys, you got to ask me more stuff in the secrets of the business. I got a million questions for you. We'll have to have have our own podcast, just you and me. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. We'll we'll have to get a different kind of rating on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, and a full bar. Travel safe, kid. I know we're going to Saudi with no liquor. What's up with that? Hey, I'll I'll buy you a drink when we land back in the States. You got it. All right. Thanks, Nate. Bye, Corey. What a crazy, busy day. I want to thank Triple H, Bailey, even though she hung up on me, Seth Rollins, Nature Boy, Ric Flair, all for taking time out of their day to talk with me. I hope you guys like this. If you did... Tweet at me. Give me something to read while I'm on the jet flying all the way around the world. Maybe I'll have a few cocktails and respond at WWE Graves. Follow After the Bell, at After the Bell WWE on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Do me a favor and subscribe. Shoot me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out to my Android pals. Follow ATB on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast app you use so you never miss an episode. There's a lot more good stuff coming up, I swear. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of wisdom. Three things in this world cannot long be hidden. The sun, the moon, and the truth. That's some zen for you. I'm full of it. I'll be back next week with a little more wisdom, a lot more vitriol, and a whole lot more WWE after the belt. WWE Podcast. Time travel to fun in the 16th century at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Ten stages, food, pubs, shopping, jousting. Saturday, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th.